0: You mentioned really briefly the owner's word weighs a ton. I read that, that post that you had, but can you just touch on that? Because it's such an important lesson. The inherent power structure in organizations, like we
1: can all wish they weren't there, but they just they just are. Um, this person signs your check. Like there's some power there. If you just come in and, and drop some comments and you're not very careful about how you say it, and what you mean by it, it will be taken as we must do this, or this must be handled, or this must be taken care of. Because this person has not been involved. But now that they are, it must mean something more. And you almost never actually intend it to be. It's just like, oh, hey, here's some thoughts. You know, have you thought about this or have you tried that? Or what about this? You in your mind, you're like, I'm just throwing this thing in there to maybe be helpful. But in their mind, it's like you're throwing this thing in there, and now you've thrown a wrench in there. Even if it's positive feedback in a sense, it's still like the most important thing at the moment. And you just have to recognize that truth, whether or not you meant it or
0: you didn't, it is. Hey everyone, I'm Chris Ronzio, founder and CEO of Trainual, and this is Organized Chaos. On every normal episode, you hear me talk about building your playbook. Well, we actually have an event every year called Playbook over at Trainual and this session is a clip from Playbook 2022. That's our annual event at Trainual and it features some of the top business leaders in the world. So we've reformatted these sessions for the podcast so that you can enjoy them wherever you are totally free. This upcoming session is hosted by me. All right, everyone. I'm back in what Jonathan has dubbed the tic-tac-toe studio. So I love the X's and O's. It's the whole playbook vibe. Hopefully that makes sense to you there at home, but we're gonna continue this day. It is flying by. I hope you've all been taking notes and getting so many good takeaways and so much great advice from our speakers throughout this day so far. I'm ready to start talking about delegating and this session is gonna be all about getting out of your team's way. You need to put the right people in the right roles, and then you need to just trust them to do their thing, not micromanage them. No red tape. That's one of our core values here at Trainual is no red tape. And I think it's a value that I share with our upcoming guests. So let's introduce our special guest. It's Jason Freed. Jason is one of the entrepreneurs that I truly admire. I've been following for over a decade. Hopefully, that's not creepy. If you've ever used Basecamp or Hey read the blogs over at 37signals, you know Jason's an incredible thought leader and really a SaaS pioneer. Uh, He has this point of view on running a business that feels both contrarian and so simple and so obvious that it makes you think, why don't we all just do things this way? So he also co-wrote a book, uh, Remote, he uh, co-wrote the book rework and co-wrote their newest book. It doesn't have to be crazy at work. These three books are three of the books that I recommend and gift the most. So I love these books. Go check those out. Jason's got some powerful advice on how to manage people these days. And that's what I want to dig into. So welcome, Jason. How are you? Hey, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. All right, this is exciting. So we've got a lot to talk about today. But did I just see that you like totally changed your whole website and product and announced something in like the last day? I mean, quietly we did. We haven't really made noise
1: about it, but it's, it's, it's live. Yeah, the new Basecamp.com. We have a new pricing model. We're testing out new whole thing. So launched a bunch of features over the past year that are big time. And here we are. Good timing.
0: All right, well, I didn't expect us to be breaking any sort of news here, but uh, the floor is yours. I mean, like, why the change? How long has this been in the works? I'd love to just touch on this a little.
1: Yeah, this is a good topic. So, you know, Basecamp's been around, the product's been around since uh, 2004, and we've always had a, we've had different pricing models, but we've always had a fixed model where you could have unlimited people, um, and sometimes we had limits on projects, sometimes we don't have limits on projects, whatever. And our price has been for for a while at 99 bucks a month, flat, unlimited people, unlimited projects. And we've been getting a lot of emails from people, small business owners, who are like, "I just 99 bucks is just too big of a lift for me initially." So we're trying out this new thing, at least through the end of the year, um, which is going to a per seat model of 11 bucks per person, only billing for employees. So we're not billing for contractors or clients or guests, um, and it's really beneficial for small groups. So we're going to try that out for a while, see how it plays, see what we learn. And then if we if we like it, we'll figure out a way to transition to our existing customers. But this is a promotion just for new customers for now. With that, we launched a new site. And over the past year, we've been building up Basecamp 4, which is the new version of Basecamp, which is a significant improvement over Basecamp 3, sort of a transition, but a big, big collection of things. And so it all kind of came together at once. Um, and so you
0: mentioned yeah. this is like a, a quiet launch. You haven't really promoted it a ton. I saw one tweet. I'm like feverishly searching Google, like, did something just happen? And nah. I see your tweet. Uh, is this something that you will be promoting more in the weeks or months to come?
1: Yes, for sure. Um, what we typically do is we launch something quietly first, get some of the kinks out, make some adjustments, learn a few things quietly. Quietly, we still get, you know, thousands and thousands of visits on a a daily basis. So like you can learn a lot pretty quickly, but quietly, and then we'll begin making noise. I'm already beginning to start to make some noise, sort of quiet noise, but like soon we'll be shouting. Yeah.
0: So I know in shape up you talk about iterating kind of in 6 week cycles and so I know you're constantly innovating and testing things but over the years you've had four different versions now of Basecamp and so how do you think about approaching those versions that are really more massive iterations
1: Well it's different because this last time with Basecamp 4 which we've sort of we've morphed Basecamp 3 into 4 so if you had 3 you already have 4 Um, We added a bunch of things, but didn't change the fundamentals. So the transition was very smooth and no one even knows it happened, essentially. In the previous version, we left the old version around. So like the original version, which is called classic, we then launched two. And then there are two separate versions. And then from two, we launched three. And the reason we did that was because the changes were so dramatic and so fundamentally, like the underpinnings were so different Hmm. that we couldn't transition one from the other. But Basecamp 3 was so uh, the foundation, the chassis, if you will, was so um, accommodating that we were able to sort of build four on top of it. And so our customers would get all the new stuff included with their account without having to transition or decide if they want to transition or not. It just happened. So it's just a matter of, you know, in in some, in some cases, like if you think about this, like cars, the Porsche 911 has been around for uh, 50 something years um 60 years I think almost closed now and they've had like seven or eight different iterations of the car so they'll have whole new chassis so they'll have like the 996 and the 997 or the 993 and the 991 and the 992 and these are all versions of the 911 that's what like base camp one base camp two and base camp three were like but four is more like a mid model refresh where the fundamental underpinnings are still strong and modern but we just layer on maybe in the Porsche case a new front fender, new brakes, new engines, but they still ride on the same chassis. So that's sort of what
0: we're doing with Basecamp 4 at the moment. Got it, that makes sense. Yep. Now, I, you mentioned the freemium thing is changing a little bit, or the, at least the, the pricing model is changing. It's exploring so- it,
1: it's an experiment.
0: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I love how you're experimenting with that. And I know that in the past you had like a $29 model and then you went to 99 and how you went about changing the price for existing customers or not, I thought was really smart. And so can you talk through just like price changes and what your philosophy is there?
1: Yeah, so we've, I mean, we've t- we've tried a billion things, you know but they've all been primarily around like sort of unlimited packages, but limited in some nature. We've never limited people, but we've limited projects and we've limited some features. Um, and so we've had multiple tiers, we've had single prices, we've had all sorts of things. And we typically don't change prices on existing customers. So if you're, you're kind of grandfathered in on where you were, that's kind of where you are. Um, and with new versions that we launched, the prices would change. But if you stay with your old version, you, price stays the same, that kind of thing. We have dabbled, this isn't 100% accurate. There's been times in the far distance where we did we grandfathered people in for a period of time, and then we sort of slowly morph them to the new. So right now, this new pricing model we're, we're doing, which is also, there's a huge promotion tied to it, which is that your first three users are free for the first year. So if you're a small business with two or three people, you can use Basecamp, the full version of Basecamp for free for, for the full year, if you sign up before wow. December. So we're trying this thing. We're not changing prices on existing customers, but surely there'll be some, if we decide to keep this model... That will want to shift to the new pricing. Some will want to keep their old pricing. So we're going to to figure out a way to offer a migration path for some and also allow others to stay for a while, at least perhaps at some point having to migrate. But right now we're not touching anything for anybody who already has what they have. And this is a promotion and a a new model we're trying on new customers, which is a really nice way to do it because they don't, new customers don't have the legacy of Mm -hmm. where it was. So you're free to try things and present things in a fresh way without any of the history. Yeah. And, and then we're kind of giving this till the end of the year and then we'll kind of learn. We're going to learn along the way. We're AB testing some stuff, but we'll learn and then decide what we want to do. Like, do we want to double down on this? Do we want to change the price? Do we want to do whatever? But, but even if we decide not to stick with this, we're going to grandfather the people in who, who are on this promotion so they can stick with that. So you just kind of figure it out and you, 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 you be reasonable and you be fair. Um, but at some point, you also, um, you know, if you need to morph people to things, you just make it very gentle. That's sort of how you, how you do it.
0: Yeah. You yeah, know, I, I love the way that you approach this. And I think it's a good lesson for anyone that's listening that you don't have to rock the boat on all of your existing customers if you want to test something new next week. You know, you've always got a new customer that's coming in the door that doesn't have that legacy context. And that's where we should be experimenting. So I think it's a great insight. Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't follow you, I want to shift into kind of just how you run a business and establish this philosophy that you have. And I think the 888 rule is a good one to start with because it seems so idealistic. And for a lot of people listening, it may feel like how does that even exist? So can you talk about that and about just generally balance at work?
1: Yeah, so so 888 essentially means like 8 hours of work, 8 hours of sleep, 8 hours of Life, although of course, like life encompasses all of it, of course. Um, But you know, that's kind of a shorthand to say like balance. That's really a nice way of saying balance. And it turns out eight is enough of each in a sense. Eight hours of sleep is exactly what you want, eight hours of work is enough time. And the rest of the time is, of course, yours, basically. Um, I think this is important for a number of reasons. First of all, um, it just seems like the reasonable thing to do. And to build a business that can work on eight-hour days and 40-hour weeks, which has historically been the norm and is still the norm in most places, you know the tech industry sort of lost its way there, where they think you need to put in 60, 70, 80, whatever hours a week, weekends, nights, whatever it takes to get it done. I just don't believe in that. I think that actually eight hours is plenty of time, especially if you give people a full day's worth of work or time to themselves. The reason eight hours has stopped being enough time is because people are distracted by a million things people are using chat too much. They're they're having too many meetings. There's too many people involved in too many things. There's too many discussions being had with too many people on them. They're constantly being pulled away. The thing they're working on today changes tomorrow and someone pulls them in a new direction. And so they don't have time, but eight hours is a lot of time. And if you don't believe me, go get on, go to Chicago where I used to live, fly to London, eight hours. You're going to be sitting on that and have nothing to do. You're going to be sitting on that plane going, Oh my God are we there yet? And you look at your watch, it's like only been three hours. You're like, oh my God, are we there yet? You look at your watch, it's been five hours. Eight hours is a lot of time, but it's not if you're being constantly, if it's being fractured and shattered into these tiny work moments. So what we do at 37 Signals is we give people a full eight-hour day to themselves. We try to stay out of their way as much as possible. And when you do that, you find out you have plenty of time. And that adds up to 40 hours a week, which is plenty of time. And it's also a good constraint, because it forces you to really focus on the things that matter, squeeze out the things that don't. And if you can't get it done by five that day, you work on it the next morning, like it's fun, you don't stay up to get it done, you just wait till the next morning, there's very, 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 very few things that have to be done at 9pm that can't wait for 9am the next morning.
0: And so that's sort of our, our general module. So I was flying back from London last Friday and I was thinking about this because, you know, these questions and everything were on my mind and I was laughing on the plane because I'm just thinking, I keep checking my watch and I'm like, this flight is taking forever. Like, And I never buy the internet on the plane because I always feel like it it lets me get so much more done when I'm not in the chat rooms and I'm not looking at emails. And so I think it's, it's such a great point. Uh, the chats blowing up. Speaking of chat of people saying who sleeps eight hours and you guys are getting sleep. I mean, that's exactly why I wanted you here to talk to this, because I think a lot of people feel like this is impossible in today's world. And so is that how you would describe a a calm company from, you know, from the book is, is one that just works 40 hours a week and, and has that kind of balance? Yeah. Um, to me,
1: it's, it's tragic, frankly, that, that, that work feels like it um, is allowed to just mess with your sleep and mess with your free time. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- why is it that work gets to do that? I, I like, I inherently, there's no good reason. Now, some employers will go because I pay you, damn it. And it's like, well, you pay me for my work and eight hours is enough. That's what my full time job is basically based on a 40 hour week. That's kind of the norm, essentially. So, like, you're not entitled to more of that. You're certainly not entitled to my nights. You're certainly not entitled to my weekends. What makes you think you are? Now, of course, people probably wouldn't go to their boss and say it that way, but that's how I feel about it as an employer. Like I'm not entitled to anything beyond a you know, reasonable 8-hour day. Look, sometimes people put in 9. Sometimes people put in 6 because they got things to do, or pick up their kids or whatever. They We don't track the time. You know, it's like it's it's just all we expect is a full day's work, which is eight hours, and you figure it out, you know, you figure it out. And with that has to come expectations and understanding that we can't expect people to be superhumans. We can't expect people to be heroes. We don't want people to be heroes. We just want people to be reasonable, put in the time, we'll stay out of your way. You should have enough to do what you need to do. And this goes all the way down to um, the fact that at base camp we have very few managers. We have some they're important. Um, but teams are primarily it, actual working teams are primarily self-managed. So anyone who's working on a basecamp feature or a hey feature, um, there's two of two of them working on something together. one designer, one programmer and they're essentially self-managed. I check in, some other people check in, but it's they make the decisions and they're working together. it's their day um, and they don't have to keep going up the chain to make decisions. And so when you don't have to do all that, all of a sudden you find that you're free to actually do the work that you were hired to do. One thing that's always blown me away is if you add, and we could probably ask people in the chat, I don't know if there's a way to do a poll or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, what percentage of your day are you allowed to do the thing that you were hired to do? I would Put say most people chat, go, everyone. like, if you're hired to be a designer, are you a designer 100% of the time at work? Or are you a designer 5% of the time, 12% of the time? Maybe if you're lucky, 20% of the time, because all the other time is spent doing other things that aren't designed. If I hire a designer, I want them to be designing. Like, right? It's like, it's just so, it's so kind of ridiculously obvious, but still it's not something that happens in most places. And that's why people get frustrated. And that's why people think they need to work longer because they don't have time to actually do the work. So anyway, yeah, roughly that's my, you know, I'm sort
0: of spewing things at this point but that's that's kind of my point of view on this i'm seeing 15 20 50 40 percent right 75 to 80 which and beth which is lucky because like beth's best doing 75 to 80 that's she's lucky and i don't know if beth knows that she's lucky
1: but she is lucky that is that's an outlier you know and it's it's just a shame unfortunately that beth has to be lucky and everyone else has to suffer you know like there's no reason for that so um and by the way i do want to be clear i'm not saying every moment is wonderful. And like, there's stuff I have to do that I hate doing at work, like all things like that that come up, but on balance, you want to have a full day to yourself to do the things that you're
0: hired to do. Like, just let me do my job. That's what everyone wants. Yeah. How do you think as employers, we can make it safe for our teams to have that balance? You know, because we can say, you know, oh, you work nine hours to 10 hours one day. We'll work six or five the next day. You know, go pick your kids up from school, go to the baseball game. And if we want that culture of balance, how do we make it safe so that our people actually take us up on that offer?
1: I think um, as a leader, which might be, you know, a manager, a boss, an owner, whatever, you, you have to live by that you can't say these things and then drive people to to not be able to do those things now again there are occasional moments maybe you're launching something and like something breaks like it's all hands on deck right now like we need need to fix that like and if it's 10 o'clock and the server's down like of course like that's a totally different game though that should like happen once a year maybe if if that you know it should not be like every every other week there's like chaos and like we're working nights and there's everything's ASAP and everything's busted. Like people are, are reasonable and understand occasionally you need to put in more because something is urgent, important and, and needs to happen, but everything can't be urgent, important. and needs to happen. So you've got to, it's like the crying, cry wolf thing. Like you can't cry wolf as, as a business owner and and push people that way. You've got like, if you say something occasionally and ask someone to put in a little bit extra, they'll do it because they understand this is not the norm. So that's a big part of it. Second, or maybe third, I don't know, is that you can't be working on the weekends either. You can't be posting things on the weekends because other people are going to, oh, he or she's posting stuff on the weekends. Like I should probably be doing that. Like they run the place and they're doing it unless you do it and say like, hey, I took Thursday off because I was at my kid's baseball game. So I'm, I'm putting some time in on the weekend to make up for it. Like you just would have to explain yourself. But if you're working all the time and weekends, people are going to follow the leader regardless of They they just are, that's just kind of how humans work. And so you've gotta be very, very, very careful. Um, I wrote this essay a while ago um, called the owner's word weighs a ton. And it's also the owner's actions and not just owner managers, but whatever it might be. Like, You've gotta recognize that the example you set is an example whether or not you meant it or not, it is. So gotta be very mindful of that. Otherwise you can find yourself Asking people to act one way, but they're going to act the other way because they're going to
0: follow your actions more than they're going to follow yours. Yeah. So, so good. I remember when that movie came out, Horrible Bosses, I had this slide with the the movie poster in a, in a deck I used to remind people that when we are the entrepreneur, the business owner, the boss, um, we don't have to be horrible bosses to ourselves. Like we can have some balance and set some, some rules and set a good example. And, and I, I think you're preaching that, which is great.
1: Hey, can um, I add one more thing actually, if you don't mind? Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's important A lot of people ask me like, well, what about when you're first getting started? You must've put in crazy hours back then, right? I'm sure I did a little bit. The problem is, is that the things you do over and over and over are the the habits you set. So there are certainly moments I can remember where I worked long, um, but it wasn't the norm. And it's not the reason, like it can't be, if I don't work 80 hours, I'm not gonna be able to make any progress. So if, if, if you're starting out and you're putting in 80, 90 hours a week constantly, there's not this magical time where you go, okay, I'm going to dial it back and work 40 because you're conditioned now to believe that the only way to do what you've done is to do it that way. So it's very hard to break any habit and especially work habits. So I think it's very important early on. And look, if you need to put in some extra time, I get it, but maybe make it 50 hours instead of 40, but don't make it 80 and 80 and 80 and 80, because you're not going to stop that. You're just going to keep doing that.
0: So other than the hours worked, if people are early on and they're listening to this right now, what other things should they put in place early so that they don't develop these bad habits? Um, I mean, one thing is,
1: um, this is like kind of a, a broader thing, but like have other interests. And it's kind of like, it's weird to say, like, you should have, I don't know what they would be, whatever. Maybe you play guitar. Maybe you go for a walk. Maybe you're a train for a triathlon. Maybe you, whatever it is, maybe you paint. Try to make your, especially when you're getting going. Try to make your life about more than just work, um, because if you want to learn to play guitar and you like guitar, you have to practice, and it'll be calling you, right? It'll, like I gotta stop working because I gotta, I gotta. And so, so part of that is like take lessons. So don't just learn guitar on your own. Take lessons because the, the trick that I have, which is like, I I go to a trainer, and I take le- guitar lessons. And i try to take lessons from people because then i have an appointment to uphold i have an obligation to someone else and not just myself it's very easy when it's just you you're like yeah, i'll put that off i'll put that off i'll put that off and you don't do it so for me it's been helpful to have
0: someone and somewhere and some time i need to show up so um, it's accountability it's somebody else that you know it's on your calendar what's your favorite song to play on guitar uh, I'm not good enough to play that, play many songs, but I've been, I've been learning Blackbird is sort of the
1: thing okay. I've been really, because I'm learning some more finger style stuff. So Blackbird is sort of my current go to to like warm up and to enjoy and to sort of feel like, my God, I'm learning something here. This is really wonderful. And it's
0: a great song. So that's that's kind of my my song right now. That's awesome. I bought a guitar in high school and taught myself slide by the Google Dolls because it was like yeah. very recognizable, you know, yep. and the chorus and everything but I never had a coach or a, a trainer, and so I, I didn't stick with it. My brother's an amazing musician though, so shout out oh, to Jonathan. Awesome. Um, okay, so you mentioned really briefly the owner's word weighs a ton. I read that that post that you had, but can you just touch on that because it's such an important lesson?
1: What often happens is, and I, I still find myself doing this by accident, and David, my my co-founder does this too, we, we all do it. Um, you kind of are paying attention to something sort of, And then you come in and drop in a comment like a drive-by we call them drive-by comments like drive-by feedback or you're not really involved in the thing but you're sort of paying attention peripherally and then you just kind of like drop something and that's something that you drop because you're not involved and because of the the inherent power structure in organizations like we can all wish they weren't there but they just they just are um this person signed your check like there's some power there um if you just come in and and drop some comments um, or drop some feedback, and you're not very careful about how you say it and what you mean by it, it will be taken as like, oh, we must do this, or this must be handled, or this must be taken care of, because this person has not been involved. But now that they are, it must mean something more. And you almost never actually intend it to be. It's just like, oh, hey, here's some thoughts. You know, have you thought about this? Or have you tried that? Or what about this? Because you, you you you're part of it, you want to be part of it, but you you in your mind you're like I'm just throwing this thing in there to maybe be helpful, but in their mind it's like you're throwing this thing in there and now you've thrown a wrench in there. Even if it's positive feedback in a sense, it's still like the most important thing at the moment, and you just have to recognize that truth, whether or not you meant it or you didn't, it is, um, and that's just something that I, I've I've had to work on. Um, and, um, I remember like years ago, um, I just like thrown something in about some about videos or something. I threw something in about like, it'd be cool to see this on Instagram or something like that back when we were exploring some Instagram stuff and all of a sudden it, it was sort of taken as we should be doing this on Instagram. Like we should be doing this on Instagram versus like, it'd be cool to see what it might look like. You know, that was my intention, but then it sort of changed the direction. And so you just gotta be, you gotta be very, very careful about it. And, um, that's kind of what that whole thing is guilty.
0: Yeah, I, I just want to say guilty for, for everybody that works for TradeWheel that's listening. I, I know I've done this. Uh, put in the chat, if you have done this, just put guilty. And this is confession time because if you've done one of these drive-by feedback things, put guilty in there. I want to see the stream just going. Thank you. Keep them going. <laughs> there they are. <laughs> um, so when you started Basecamp with David 18 years or so ago, did you intentionally set out to build a company that had this calm nature to it? Or did you ever get swept up in the crazy startup cute? like grow bigger, better, faster.
1: Let me answer that in a second. I'm just thinking like, by the way, is there a way in Zoom, like if if this is being recorded and if you're going to play it back, can you ever see the chat? I've never found a way to do that. Can you or can you not? You can export the chat if you go into your Zoom settings. But not like alongside. Like I'm watching it alongside in real time. Like I'm surprised you can't, do that because it's kind of fun to see people's responses come in while we're talking. So Be
0: careful. Now somebody thinks uh, over <laughs> at Basecamp, like, oh, we should get a developer on that.
1: Yeah. Luckily, we, <laughs>
0: yeah, we don't make Zoom, so can't really do that. But anyway, um, remind me, sorry, of the, of the question again. So were you calm from the beginning or did you ah. ever get swept up in this like bigger, better, faster thing?
1: Um, I think we've always had this general sense, but I'm sure there are moments in the organization where, where we, we sort of lost our way. Um, but a lot of it is rooted in the original sort of origin story of Basecamp, the product itself. So, um, back in 2003, we're back from 99 to 2003, we were a web design company and we needed a better way to manage our projects. And we kind of couldn't figure out a way to do it. We were using, trying to use a bunch of tools that didn't work. So we ended up building our own. And in that, I'm not, we didn't have a programmer on staff so like i'm i'm a designer the other three people at the company at the time were designers um and so i would met this guy david online and david is a programmer we'd worked together on some freelance projects ahead of this he was like, sort of we brought him in and we started talking and he started he's like look i'm still in university he lived in copenhagen i was in chicago um he's like look i i've got like 10 hours a week to to, to i'll sell you 10 hours a week essentially you know that's all i got i go all right I'll pay you 10 hours a week and let's like build something. And it turns out we built the first version of Basecamp with him putting in 10 hours a week, not a day, a week. And two designers on our side, putting in eh, half time, maybe because we had client work to do. Um, And in three or four months, we built the first version of Basecamp in a very limited with very limited amount of time each. And so I think we realized from an early stage that like you can get a lot done if you're economical with your time and you treat time as a scarce resource. If we don't have much water left and we need it to last for a while, you're careful about how you spend your water or how you, you know use your water. Like the same thing should be true with time. The problem is a lot of companies treat time as an endless resource. We'll just work longer, work, get more people on it, more time. You gotta treat it as a, as a scarce thing because then you, you respect it at a different level. And I think we learned that for for the first version of Basecamp, and that helped us frame the fact that we don't need a lot of time to do things. And the more time we give it, it doesn't get a lot better. It just takes longer. Sometimes it can get a little bit better, but oftentimes things just take a lot longer. And that's not a good place to be. So we learned that. And I think we've maintained that for the most part. And when we strayed away from it, we inherently feel the, the pull and go, this doesn't feel right
0: less time, let's give this thing less time, and we'll get it done. So if if time is this scarce resource, you have to be really good about what you focus on and what you say no to. So how do you maintain that focus at Basecamp? How do you decide what to spend your scarce time on?
1: There, there's, it's more of an art than anything, um, in that it sort of depends on the context. So we're very much driven by context, uh, meaning there's not a scientific approach to deciding what to do next. It's how do we feel about the things we're thinking about? What, are, what have we been learning over the past few weeks or months? Um, what are we… Um, who's available? Um, what do we just work on in the product? For example, let's say we just spent a whole cycle working primarily on infrastructure things that improve the product for customers, but in ways they didn't see it. The next cycle we should probably in our cycles are six weeks. so. The next cycle, it might be better to focus on some more customer-facing things. So it doesn't look like we're not working, even though we, of course, are. You just got to kind of think about like the whole picture and the whole system and decide what feels right next. Yeah. That is really it. And sometimes it can be customer-driven stuff and your own stuff and things no one asked for, things everyone's been asking for, a mix of things. But it's got to track with your mood
0: and energy. Otherwise, if you fight those things, I think it can be pretty difficult. And who makes the decision when you've got all these possibilities, the customer feedback, things that are maybe pet projects? Who decides what you're going to work on? Um, a few of us.
1: Oh, I mean, ultimately, me. But that's not. It doesn't come down to that. Um, I mean, it officially ultimately does if it needs to. But there's there's typically three of us that. So ideas come in from all over the place. Customer service, customers, other people who work here. Our own ideas. We kind of mull them over. Um, and then a few of us begin to put together a list of things we think we want to do next. We shape them up, which means we, we kind of write up a pitch. It's a document, like a page and a half with some Mm -hmm. sketches, pretty loose. We then bring that to a wider audience internally, um, mull that over with them. They have their own perspectives. We kind of talk about it. And then ultimately, um, We sort of decide together on the kind of work we want to do this next cycle. If there's like tiebreakers are required or we need to make a final, there's just four projects. We only really have time for three. I might have a a more of a voice in that, but but typically it's a small group of people. It's definitely not a vote. It's it's a small group of people having a conversation and then decisions either fall out naturally from that or a decision needs to be made um, by somebody. But that's kind of how that works. We do this every six or so weeks.
0: And Shape Up is the book that is about that process, right? So if anybody wants to, to download that book, they can kind of read through how that works.
1: Yeah. So if you go to um, basecamp.com slash shapeup, S-H-A-P-E-U-P, it's also on the 37signals site. If you go there instead, you'll find it in the book section. Um, it's all there. And, um, and that, that's our methodology that we invented here over the past couple decades, almost, um, and sort of put it into book form. It's... It's based on a variety of different ideas from different methodologies, but um, and then some unique new ideas, uh, but it's what we found works exceptionally well and yeah. cuts through a lot of the unnecessary process that a lot of other pro- uh, processes follow. And it's why we're able to do so much with such a small team regularly in a sustainable pace without burning out, without working crazy hours. It's really a secret
0: um, yeah. that, uh, of course, isn't because it's public, but... It sure feels like one. Yeah, I love that book. And it's not just for product development, even though that's kind of what it's about. I think everyone listening could take something away from how you think about those cycles of iteration. So when you've got a small team that's deciding these things, uh, you also have a small team in general at Basecamp and you've kind of made a decision to keep the company that size, if I'm not mistaken. I, I saw this quote you wrote that was, you can do big things with small teams, but it's hard to do small things with big teams. So what's been the, the reasoning behind the size that Basecamp is today? It's kind of
1: interesting. We've recently sort of changed our opinion on this, but I'll, let's talk a little bit about the history. I'll keep it relatively short and go into it. So historically, we've been fewer than 50 or 60 people. And for most of our lives as a company, we've been 20 to 30, you know, 40, something like that. We just recently decided over the past year or so to like go for it. And go for it means go for it within our means but historically, we definitely put a lot of limits on ourselves. We don't want to get more than 50 or 60 people. Um, we only want to build it for a while. We only want to build one product at a time, which is Basecamp. And then we ended up building hay. And that sort of knocked us out of that orbit. We're like, well, we want to make now we've got two hits. We got base camp and hay, different levels hits, but like hay is clearly a hit. Basecamp's a 10x mega hit. Yeah. Um we want we want to keep developing this hay thing also. Historically, we only worked on one thing at a time. So we could only have, we only had enough people to work just on base camp for a while and hey, I had to sit and then just, Hey, for a while, and base camp had to sit. Like let's, what I mean by going forward is let's become more capable. Let's be able to work on two products at a time simultaneously. Every six weeks, new thing for two products. Maybe we're about to work on a third product. So not maybe, but we are, we're going to want to be able to run three products at a set at the same time. And rather than like busted our seams, let's just. Expand our seams. Let's go to the tailor and let the pants out a little bit here. And like you know, take so. So now we're about I think about eighty some odd people, which is allowing us to do two things at once at a high level across all platforms. And um, we're taking on some other capabilities that we didn't have before. And we're trying that now. So it's still we're still self funded. We're not raising outside money. We're still one hundred percent funded by customer revenues. We're just like, like saying, what if we were more capable within our own sphere of approach and let's see what happens and so that's what we're we're doing now but still like companies in our in our sort of arena if you want to think about it that way typically have hundreds thousands of people in some cases we have you know fewer than 100 so we're very very small all things considered um and we want to generally keep it that way uh as you know again all things considered relative relative sizes
0: well, it sounds like you prioritize efficiency and you wanna be efficient. You don't wanna let the red tape and the bureaucracy creep in. And I'm curious how you've pushed that off over the years, You know, as you've experienced the success and started to add people, uh, or maybe now as you're growing the team, are you thinking about how to not add all this process as you get bigger? This has been a
1: fundamental difficult challenge for us, um, which is um, we do need more process. We do need more structure. Um, but how much? And we don't know is the answer. Yeah. Um, we've begun to add some more. Hired a COO. Um, hired a director of engineering. You know, David used to sort of do all the technical stuff, and now we have someone else who's. And there we're actually hiring an engineering manager right now, which is also going to help. We've 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 built out a new team and customer success team. Typically, we just had customer service. Now we're having which is more proactive are sort of more reactive and success is more proactive. And we're building out these different teams and these teams have people who are in charge of things, but we're just trying to be very careful not to overdo it. Um, So we're easing into the structure and we're still running into it. We're still butting heads with it to some degree because we're not used to it, but we also know it needs to exist. Um, So we're just learning. We're learning as we go here and figuring it all out. And um, it's, it's, I think one of the, bigger fundamental challenges that we have as as an organization to figure out how to incorporate some of the, the the things we need um without losing uh the benefits of more direct work which is like just people figured
0: out on their own yeah, it's it's something we've talked about a lot, too, and our, our core value that I mentioned, no red tape, we've joked has been like 10% red tape in the last <laughs> right. couple of years. No is not really a thing. <laughs> it's got to be a, a little bit, uh, but yeah. it's the thought that counts. Um, yeah. Moving to delegation briefly, the uh, in, in Rework, I know this was like a decade ago, but you said never hire anyone to do a job until you've tried to do it yourself first. And I'm curious if your take on delegation has changed. That remains.
1: The same fun, The same fundamental principle remains. Um, it, it's important because um, if you haven't tried to do the job yourself to some degree, it's very hard to hire. This is actually, it's very hard to hire someone to do that job because you don't really understand what goes into it. You don't intimately understand how to judge the quality of it. And so you take a lot of things on faith. Um, And you always need to do that when you hire someone anyway, because you don't really know them. You don't really know what they're capable of, their resume, their cover letter, whatever the interview process is just a slice of who they are and what they're able to do. But at least when you've done it, you can, you can identify with what they're saying in a way where you go, this person gets it, or that's a unique perspective, Mm -hmm. or I remember bumping into this myself and they've already considered it. So you go, "I, I trust this is a good, a better hire, you know? I think it remains to be important there are of course always situations where you do hire a new role that you've never had before you've never done but we try to always at least attempt to do it so for example we hired a coo about a year ago we actually had a coo about five years ago for a year and then we didn't have one and then we haven't had one prior to that for the 23 years we've been in business so we didn't have one for 15 16 17 years okay david and i never did the coo job specifically but we we had the responsibility of like running the operations of the job. So we never thought of ourselves as COOs, but we did the work. So when we brought in someone, we knew during the interview process what it would take. And we found you know we interviewed a bunch of people. We found Elaine, who's been fantastic in the job. She's on top of the things that we think are important. She's been running a lot of things that we didn't like to run. And it's been great. But a big part of the reason why um, we, we were able to sort of identify that she'd be a great fit is because we've done a lot of this stuff ourselves. And we actually had tried someone a few years ago and learned some
0: things there too. So it's very important um, to do that, I think, at least. So once you get the person in, how do you stay out of their way? How do you let them get the work done and make sure it's done right? I'm, I'm, I, we've only got like two minutes left, so okay. I'll throw you that question and see if uh, we can get to it. It's, it's hard to break the habit
1: of wanting to jump in and do things that you've been doing for a long time, unless there are things you don't wanna do. So for example, I don't wanna run day-to-day stuff, like people management and a whole bunch of things anymore. So like Elaine's been taking that over and we have someone else, of course, who who does that as well. Andrea, she's great, but like Elaine's sort of heading that up in a sense. And that was a relief to get off my plate, right? But she's also handling some marketing stuff, which I like to be involved with. So, But I also wanna be careful not to like dictate What I want to happen and only be willing to settle for that because that doesn't let someone grow? It doesn't introduce external perspectives, but you also want to have a sense of this person's new. So you want to have a sense of like what's important and where the values are coming from and, and you want to have a sense of maintaining a level of quality. So David and I primarily our roles in these areas have now been arbiters of quality, not necessarily the idea generators, but arbiters of quality. So we want to maintain that responsibility, but not everything else. Otherwise you sort of take everything away from someone when you just jump in and do it. And that's not a good way to give someone responsibility, but it's hard.
0: Arbiters of quality is such a great way to put it. And, you know, I think, delegating is probably easier when you understand clearly what you're delegating and why you're delegating it why you don't want to do that thing anymore it's easier to change your own role in the business and so that's where the work starts but Jason this has been amazing we could talk for hours I know I so appreciate your time here and for everyone that's listening please go over to 37signals.com because you probably heard all these little sound bites and thought oh that's genius that's genius well that web page is just filled with genius philosophies and sound bites so follow Jason on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, read 37signals, read the books. There's so much to learn. I've learned a ton, Janky, uh, Jason, thank you so much.
1: Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on and thanks for all the comments. It's been great reading them as we're, as we're talking.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to Organized Chaos. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review or share it with anyone in your network that you think could benefit from this information. For episode show notes, podcast recaps, and tons of other small business news and inspiration, check out the manual. That's trainual.com backslash manual.